Hi, this is Chelsea, and you're listening to The Foot of the Cross. Sorry that I wasn't able to do my segment at 8 p.m. yesterday, which is a little bit later than I would have liked to do it, but the reason why was because I dealt with having a stomach flu for a couple of days. Nobody likes to have those, but uh, I ended up skipping doing the segment completely yesterday, and I apologize for any listeners out there that got on at 8 o'clock to listen to it. Don't get discouraged. It just means that something came up, but I will not disappoint you, and I will make up for the one that was lost. So here, we are on a topic, a very serious topic lately, about PTSD and how I came about to have it at such a young age, but didn't know that I had it until years later, hence it being called post-traumatic stress syndrome. Now, the reason why I'm talking about how I came to have it because it gives me a chance to tell parents, among other types of people, what signs to look out for in their own children or what signs to look out for within yourself as to whether or not you have it. The fact is, is that if you think you even have it, need to get help right away. The only reason why I didn't know that I had it at 13 years old and my parents didn't think I had it was because my answer to everything was that I was fine, that I was okay. Alright, so part three of PTSD. First of all, I want to do a briefing because those of you who click play on this episode wouldn't know what in God's name we're talking about. So I'm going to go ahead and give you a quick briefing on it. I have been discussing about how when I was 13 years old, my mom allowed me to go to Pensacola, Florida and to stay with her friend, Gloria, who had two beautiful children. Josh was eight, Christy was five. And I was very excited to go down there because the deal was if I babysat her kids while she was at work because her husband also worked, then I would get to go to the beach a couple of times. Now, the reason for me going down there and my mom and her teaming up together to create this idea for me to do so was to get me out of Tuscaloosa because I had already gone through some trauma in my life, which if you go back to part one and two, you can take a listen and see what I'm talking about. I just want to be careful and not have to repeat everything that I've said in the other episodes. So you're more than welcome to go back if you want to catch up to where we are now. But that's the most briefing I'm going to do for now is say that while I was watching the kids, I made a bad judgment call. I took the kids on a walk to a park that the kids said was close by. Gloria was at work and had gotten home while we were walking to the park thinking that we had gone two doors down to her mother's house and she was cooking hamburgers when she received the worst call of her life. There were some boys haggling and harassing us four lanes away. Now I'm looking at them and they're looking at me and I mean this was a highway. People are doing 55, 60 miles an hour and I would never ever in a million years, even at that age, 
allow those kids to cross four streets. And I wasn't going to either. So over and over again, I tell the boys, leave us alone. I'm babysitting. Now is not the time to flirt with me. And these guys, they were obviously rebellious teens. They were all black. I try not to judge people, but what they did later on really showed what kind of people they were. Because when Christy was hit by a car, they disappeared. And they didn't wait around for the cops to show up which meant they obviously had something to hide. So my spirit was telling me what I needed to hear. Those kids were not the type of kids that I needed to surround the two practically babies that I was babysitting at the time. And I just wanted to shoo them away. And after telling them, leave me alone, leave me alone, Finally, they start walking towards us. Now, this was the big thing that got me in trouble. Because I said, Josh, hold Christy's hand. Don't let go. I'm going to run across the four lanes and tell these kids to leave us alone. And Josh said, okay, don't worry about it. I get across the street, and I hear the worst sound in my entire life hit right behind me. I look down and Christy's about 12 to 15 feet off the road. She's bleeding from her ears and her mouth. And I put my hand under her head to see if there was any breath coming from her nose, which there wasn't. But her stomach was kind of going up and down. And I was too scared to even give her CPR because I wasn't sure of the internal damage. And then I realized she was breathing. So I told Josh, go bang on doors, whatever you have to do. And every few minutes I was having to be told and reminded what was going on because I lost my memory instantly after seeing the traumatic incident in front of my eyes. Josh stepped up to the plate. As an eight year old, he had to be the mature one. He went to an apartment complex, banged on doors until finally someone opened the door and they called 911. When the police showed up, neither was the driver nor the kids that tried to get me to cross the lanes were there. The driver that hit Christy had taken off and I was there to take the fall. And my only two witnesses as to what happened, they had taken off right away. And that showed me their true character right there. Now, we never found those boys again. It wasn't until later on that the driver, and you, we can't judge this guy. We don't know what we're going to do until something like this happens. And it was absolutely horrible. I blamed myself for years. But the driver, he turned himself in um, the very next morning and said, I am ashamed of myself. I'm in the military. You know, I have been through all kinds of stuff. I've been to Iraq. I've seen people get killed. And he said, but hitting that little girl, he said, I didn't know if it was a girl or boy or if it was a teenager or a child, but I did know it was a human. And I was so freaked out, I could not get myself to turn around. Lori and I ended up forgiving that driver, but he didn't ever forgive himself, just like I didn't. 
And the shock of it all later on was when we found out that the driver who hit Christy happening to be vacationing in Florida at the same time as I did. And you'll never guess who the driver was. My brother-in-law's best friend, who was on the same military base out in California. Out in California. And had done three, three tours of Iraq together. So they were best buddies. He ended up dropping out of the military. And I heard, I heard a rumor that he ended up on drugs, but that's just hearsay. I don't know, but it ruined his life. He went to counseling for many, many years, and I prayed every single day for him that his life has gotten better. But again, though, I resented my parents for not thinking that it was a good idea for me to go to the funeral. I felt like Gloria completely blamed me. I mean, she got rid of me out of her house the first night and sent me to my half-sister's house where I was a complete stranger because I hardly knew my dad's ex-wife, not alone his two daughters that he had in his first marriage. So my half-sister Wendy tucked me in after picking me up in the middle of the night saying, I'm sorry what you went through must have been absolute hell. You taking those kids to the park and that little girl getting hit by a car. She said, I'm very sorry, and that was the only words that I got from her. Then I was tucked into a king-sized bed in a guest room at my father's ex-wife's house. was picked up the next morning by my father, and for the next six months, all I told my parents was that I was fine, fine, fine. I said it so many times that the word fine was no longer even a word. When your kids experience something traumatic at a young age, you yourself go into some kind of denial that they're going through a hard time because you want to believe that everything's going to be okay. I numbed myself and I began to use drugs. I self-medicated. I started smoking pot. I even tried ecstasy a few times. I ended up pawning things that I would have never pawned in a million years because I loved playing the guitar. I was taking piano lessons, but um, I gave up hobbies that I enjoyed. I pawned my guitar for a bunch of ecstasy. I pawned my television um, to, get, to get a eight ball of cocaine which is three grams exactly. And I just started destroying my life because I blamed myself, you know. Um, the police showed up and as they're talking to me, they turned me around, put handcuffs on me. The news was there and I was asked if I pushed the young lady into the road. And the way that they asked me, it really seemed like an interrogation. They're the ones that drove me to the hospital and the stepbrother of them was the one that we were meeting at the park. He was bringing Josh's rollerblades and was going to meet us halfway. He didn't arrive until after the incident happened. And he arrived just in time to, ri to ride back to the hospital with me and Josh in the back seat of the cop's car because he came by bicycle. And it deeply affected the 
this young man as well because him and Gloria never really got along. He was Gloria's husband, biological son, and wasn't hers. And he had been off and on on drugs in the past. And him and Gloria were really just starting to build a real relationship. So this one thing affected so many people, I can't even begin to tell you. I didn't even get to see Gloria again until years later. Back to the signs, though. I mean, telling everybody I was okay. My mom asking me if you feel like you need to go to counseling. And me saying no. And her accepting my answer. She blamed herself for years. But I had to tell you guys the truth. Because if I don't, if I'm not honest with myself on my podcast, where am I going to be honest? My parents should have said, you're the child, we're the adults, you're going to counseling. They should have gotten me the help that I needed right away. I believe in my heart and in my spirit that it would have made all the difference in the world. Because I was going down a downward spiral and it wasn't going to stop until I was ready to admit that I had a problem and that I needed to face my demons. From 13 to 16, I was fine, fine, fine. And all in between, I was losing friends to overdoses, you name it, car accidents. It was really, really tough. Um, in our other episode, we also spoke about night terrors. That's another sign of having PTSD. If your child or teenager is experiencing having night terrors, and let me again explain the difference between a bad dream and a night terror. A bad dream is something that you wake up from and you're very scared, and it can be absolutely horrible. Someone can slice you up into little pieces in your bad dream, and you can wake up and still be scared for hours. But a night terror, though, it's so alive that you can harm yourself and others while you're asleep. You can end up urinating in the bed. You can end up screaming out horrible language like the F word or GD or JC. And, for instance, I one time just walked off my bed and I could have broken my neck, you know. And in my dream, I was running away from somebody. But in real life, <laughs> I was running off my bed, and uh, not only did I go onto the floor, but I hit my head on the dresser, causing myself to knock myself out. Other things that occurred was, instead of being able to sleep at night, wake up in the morning like a lot of normal people do, whatever normal is, I haven't believed in normal in a long time. Times have changed, and what people call normal today is very different from what they called normal back then. But uh, I ended up having the night terrors. I ended up saying I'm okay to so many people, and it affected me in many, many, many ways. I thought that, you know, 
it was better that I not tell my parents what was really going on with me because I thought or I at least convinced myself that I was helping them by not telling them how bad I was hurting because I didn't want them to carry the weight of me and I did not want to be a burden. But the events that happened later ugh, turned me into a burden and that's burden and that's the last thing that I wanted to happen. Post-traumatic stress syndrome. There's so many people out there today that have been diagnosed with it. But does that mean that they actually have it? No, it doesn't. If you think that you've had PTSD because you have panic attacks and you can't stop thinking of what happened to you, and you keep replaying it in your mind, that's anxiety. And it does need attention by a doctor, but that's not post-traumatic stress syndrome. But if you are having actual visuals of things that you didn't remember but now do, that is post-traumatic stress. And I'm not talking about like deja vu. I'm talking about actual true flashbacks to where when you come back from them, you could be brutally hurt. Because one of mine happened while I was driving down the road. I was 16 years old, and the memories of what happened to Christy, because as I've said before, the second that it happened, I couldn't even remember my own name. But I'm driving down the road at 16 years old, and I'm two miles from the house, and it's like in the blink of an eye, I saw the entire accident happen all over again. I began to have panic attacks whenever I got into a vehicle. It caused me to be horrified to have children of my own one day. And due to a car accident that I had at 16, I'm going to save that for another time. But due to a car accident that I had at 16, the doctors told me that I was not going to be able to have children. At age 18, I was pregnant with my daughter. And I'm not going to lie to you, even as a Christian, even as a daughter of a mother who worked for Save a Life and talked to women and talked them out of having abortions and either A, convinced them that they were ready to raise their own child or helped them find a good, healthy home for their child to be adopted into. So I was raised by a mom who was complete anti-abortion, and I believed in it very much myself. But I won't lie, I considered having that baby removed because I did not feel like I deserved her. I did not feel like I deserved to be her mother at all. And even with my parents' help, I still did not feel an attachment to her even after she came because there was like a post-mortem post going on, big time. I became seriously depressed after I had a baby. And it happens to a lot of women, but for different reasons, though. Mine was, was because I was terrified 
specifically of having a daughter. And I was a fanatic about keeping my daughter, Nevaeh, safe past the age of five. Now you can say, that's silly. You're going to protect her her whole life, not just some of it. But because that little girl died in my arms at five years old, the first five years of my daughter's life were very crucial to me. I ne never believed in a million years I was going to be one of those parents to put one of those leashes, you know, on my kids' hands. But I ended up going to Target and buying one of those uh, puppy dog backpacks and the cloth thing went around her wrist. <laughs> so that she would always be hooked up to me in some type of way when walking and I was carrying her baby brother. If it had been a boy, would I would have would I have had the same postmortem? I don't know. I'm not sure. But I knew that being a parent scared the living hell out of me. Because it took me a long time to forgive myself. It took a long time for me to truly believe that it was an accident, that it was not my fault. There were so many rumors going around, of course. Haters that were telling people that I killed the kid. You know that thing where even at school they do it as an exercise where everyone gets in a circle and the person whispers into somebody else's ear a story. And then they tell that same story to the next person. And by the tenth person, the tenth person says the story out loud. And it will have been completely different by the time it got through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then got to him. Well, it's the same with gossip. What is actually being said and what's real, actually the truth will turn it into something completely different when it gets out on the street. I didn't want to leave my house. At some point, I started cutting to make the pain go away. And I could not believe that I took someone's daughter from them. Believe it or not, when I was, um, yes, I was uh, 17 years old, my best friend in the world, she was 16. And she was addicted to crack. But she got pregnant. And uh, she knew that she could not handle taking care of a baby. And she talked to me about what she should do. And she said, Chelsea, I'm like you. I don't believe in abortions. And I said, well, don't get one. I said, do you think I can get clean right now? She said, I believe that. When I have my own place and a car and a job that I can, or that I can possibly go in the right direction, and I said, no, that's not a good idea. I said, you're in no place to have a job and make it every day to work. I said, you're doing crack how many nights a week? And she said, six at least. And I said, honey, you need to go to rehab before even seeing this kid. I said, if you don't at least have an open adoption the worst is going to happen. And she said, what's that? I said, they're going to take your baby away. And you'll never be able to see her again. Well, 
here I am, 17, Lindsay's 16, and by that time, it had been almost four years since Christy's death, and Gloria had been able to be a foster parent to some kids because she always wanted to have another little girl, but she couldn't get pregnant again due to having a hysterectomy. They wouldn't let her uh, go through an adoption agency to get another daughter. And she knew that she was going to see Christy again one day in heaven. But she always, always wanted another little girl. And I did not coerce Lindsay into giving her baby up to Gloria. It was a mutual agreement. Lindsay was not sure who the father was. She was, she told the truth about everything. That the baby may come out, you know, having been addicted to drugs, which she did crack a few times during her pregnancy. She was honest the whole way through. And Gloria was beautiful about the whole thing. She allowed Lindsay to leave Tuscaloosa and come and stay with her throughout most of the pregnancy paid for her to get her nails and her toes done and bought her maternity clothes and said to her, you will be welcome to come stay with me whenever you want to see her. And Lindsay said, can I name her? And Gloria said, of course. And she decided to call her Angel and Gloria said, that's perfect because Christy's up in heaven and Angel can be my savior. Her saving grace is the term I, I believe I used at the time. Well, that went great. I truly felt like this was the beginning, possibly, of my healing for Christy's death. This was my way of giving back and helping a friend at the same time. Because Lindsay did find the resources to get herself clean once adopting out that beautiful baby girl, Angel. Now, the story does get sadder, but it's still a happy ending to this very day, and here's why. Lindsay's still more than able to go and see her daughter when she wants to, and she's decided to kind of stay away because she really has developed, you know, a whole new family since Gloria brought her into her life from the day she was born. I mean, she gained Josh, Christy's brother, as a new brother for her. And she had heard about Christy dying and everything. And she fell in love with Gloria and accepted her as her mommy from day one, of course, because she was a newborn. And when she turned seven, Gloria and Lindsay told her the truth. And uh, Lindsay went down there a few times, but said, she's doing so good. I, I want to be in her life, but be in her life when it's the right time. Because Lindsay would be sober for a few months, and then she would get back on drugs again. And I said, Lindsay, you're handling this so well. And she said, really? Because I don't think so. She said, I hardly go see my kid, and it's because I keep ending up back on drugs. And I said, yes, but you don't understand. Other people would lie and say that they're sober or try to fight to get their daughter back, even though they're in no position to raise that child. 
I said, you have decided what's best for your daughter, and you gave her a better chance of having a wonderful life. And that makes you, to me and to God, one of the best mothers in the world because you sacrificed your own wants and needs for this child. Angels today is going on, yeah, 16 and a half years old. My daughter is 15. And we wanted them to be best friends, but being that Angel is in Pensacola, Florida, you know, they didn't get to see each other a whole lot. Um, when they both turned into preteens, that's when the friendship started going down some. But they still talk on Facebook time to time. However, um, three and a half years back, Gloria passed away due to liver uh, function, liver not functioning well, and a whole bunch of other problems, fibromyalgia, you name it, she had it. Um, kidney failure, lupus, it was horrible. So here, again, I got depressed for a while because a little girl died while I was babysitting her. That was Gloria's daughter. Then, here's hope when I turned 16 and was able to help my best friend in the world. I'm sorry, I, I was 17 and Lindsay was 16. I was able to help my best friend in the world give Gloria the best gift in the world. And that was to have another daughter. And I also gave Lindsay a chance to rebuild her life. And now today, Lindsay is out there teaching the 12-step program. She had to go to prison for a while. But in prison, she graduated from college. She teaches classes on the 12-step program at different rehabs and locations and goes to celebrate recovery meetings and shares her testimony all around Alabama. And I am so proud of her. She gets to see Madison, who was her second daughter that she had in Alabama, who her sister had erased for a while until she truly got sober. But Lindsay is able to see her more and more, and she's able to take her to church with her. On top of that, her mother, who was part of the reason why Lindsay was on drugs, is sober also. And they go to the Church of the Highlands. Losing Gloria for Angel was a horrible, horrible thing. But it's drawn her and Josh closer together. And it's drawn her and her adopting father closer together. And she has a family. But it was hard for me to accept that for a while. I said, Mom, what did I do? I said, you know, I give this other little girl to Gloria, and then Gloria dies. Not the kid, but the mother this time. And my mom said, you know, she has been not committing suicide, but slowly, but surely, not having enough faith to be healed because she wanted to, nothing more than to be with Christy again. And she was still depressed because of her own daughter's death. And because of that, she, she, kind, of, she, she kind of spoiled Angel. Angel pretty much got everything she wanted. She compensated her being sick by giving her the things that she wanted. Angel, 
in my mind, she will go to college for the full scholarship. She's very smart. She's a brilliant little girl. Beautiful, beautiful. Looks exactly like my best friend, Lindsay. <laughs> They're so tall. <laughs> you know, she's 5'6". And gorgeous. Just gorgeous. But um, it's tough. Her adoptive father, you know, has uh, COPD along with um, some type of lung cancer, and he's not going to be around for very long. But her gr adoptive grandmother and Josh and his wife, and which means she has, you know, nieces and nephews from Josh. Um, they're all there to help her and support her, and she will be left insurance money to take care of herself and put towards college. The way I see it is that it still went well because without Gloria having received that baby, Gloria might have killed herself and I'm pretty sure that she might have taken her own life years ago and she would have never forgiven herself for Chris's death. But by getting Angel, she was able to live again. To enjoy life. They went to the beach. They traveled. They had so much fun together. They bought a camper and they took Angel around the world a little bit. Like, well, around the U.S. some. Let her see the sights. They put her in every sport that she wanted to participate in. A honor rolls, you know. Just a brilliant child. And I was part of that. So a lot of that had to do with my healing later on, but I was still having flashbacks of what occurred that day. I have worked on breathing exercises, and of course, I always read my healing scriptures, because what we say is so powerful. The power of words I swear, you need to look it up sometime because I don't have a Bible in front of me and I'm just telling you what I know. If I say it every day, for instance, I'm waiting because I got a stimulus check, but it's in my name, my ex-husband's name. And I'm scared that he received it and hasn't told me about it and try to maybe cash it without me. But I'm not going to walk around and say, I'm not going to get that money now. There's no way I'm going to get that money. And I need money bad right now because I need to get a new car for me and my kids. I am hoping to start at the University of Hair Design because that's what I want to do now, now that I can't do nursing anymore due to charges that I picked up from my drug addict husband, um, who I'm no longer married to. And now I have to track him down <laughs> to see if it maybe went to his bank account. And I have to make sure that he does me right and gives me at least half. Because he hasn't been paying child support. And a lot of single mothers out there that are listening, I'm sure you understand, it's tough. It really is. Especially because me and my children are living on, a, on the lake, a beautiful home on the water. We can go straight on to the beach from our backyard and jump in the water free and clear. This is 
our home but rented property from the owner next door and it's a great location in a beautiful neighborhood and we have been very lucky since my divorce to stay here with my parents but it's been tough because this is not a home of my own I had a home of my own a couple miles away for about a year and it didn't work out because it, somebody hit me and drove off so it was a hit and run he was an illegal alien from Mexico didn't have insurance or anything so I didn't get a dime back on my beautiful new Mazda 6 once I lost the car I couldn't go to work and when I couldn't go to work I lost my three-bedroom mobile home and had to move me and the kids back home and we've been here ever since and that was around four years ago my parents want to live alone again you know uh, my brother he's finally gotten a CGL he went through a divorce you know in the past two years and for the most part since his divorce has had to stay with us we fixed up our shed and turned it into an apartment and have been allowing him to stay in there as long as he got a job helped out with money and we helped him uh, trade his junk car that he drove up drove here to Alabama, traded in for a nicer one, and he left his wife 90% of everything, okay, and only took his own stuff because of the fact that she owned the house um, when they got married, and she was the main caregiver at the time, the main worker. She worked at one of the biggest airports, well, the big, big airport in Atlanta, Georgia, and she's doing great for herself, and I'm so proud and happy for her that she's in a much better place. Because I didn't know what was going to happen to her after losing my brother. I mean, they were together for 11 years and married for almost three. So, him moving back home, that meant seven people. My mom, my dad, me, my brother, and two kids. It's just too much. I get food stamps every month, Medicaid covers our health coverage for, for uh, health insurance, but it's not enough. It's not enough. So, the stimulus check that came, and both mine and my ex's name, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to have $1,200 for them, you know? Because it says Travis and Chelsea, but it's not the actual check, it just says, it's been deposited, deposited into y'all's account, and I'm like, what account? Because I don't have an open account, to my knowledge. I use those um, prepaid unlimited cards to, to make any kind of credit card transactions, like if I order something online. But back to what I'm saying here. There can be little things, I don't even know if that's a word, that can cause someone to have PTSD. But you have to know what to look for signs though. I mean, for instance, if someone lost a grandmother, that can cause post-traumatic stress all on its own. Even if she was 101. For instance, if you have a 14, 15 year old daughter or son that was very close to their grandmother and their grandmother passes away, and for a long time, they act happy, they act normal, to you anyway, and they keep saying they're fine. And then all of a sudden, 
they do a complete 180 and you find out that they're using drugs or cutting themselves like the way I was. And you're like, why didn't you come and talk to me? You've got to go and talk to your kids. Because your kids, when they're struggling, they're not going to go to you. You can say all day long, you can trust us. You can talk to us and come to us with whatever it is. You're not going to be in trouble, and we will get you the help you need. But my dad was so optimistic about everything. He kept saying, leave her alone. She's going to get through this. Bullshit. She needs therapy. She doesn't need therapy. If anything, I do. My kids still live with us. <laughs> and, you know, he, he said, Kelsey, you're not the one that died. Christy died. You didn't do this. This isn't your fault. Tomorrow's a new day. Let's get past this. So I kept having to pretend like everything was fine. Until one day, something snaps, and it blows up in everybody's face, and it doesn't just affect the person that has the PTSD, it affects everyone around them. For a while, my mom thought it was bipolar, but it wasn't. And then the PTSD caused me to have to be clinic clinically depressed. They kept trying pills after pills after pills. It just made me more numb, where I wasn't able to feel anything at all. Therefore, I couldn't express myself. When a, di when a friend died, I couldn't even grieve for them. It took me about two years before I actually cried about the Christie accident and that five-year-old beautiful girl dying in my arms. Don't let your children or your sister or your brother or yourself be the next victim. A victim of PTSD, if that person actually has it, or if you think they have it, get them checked right away. Encourage them to see a doctor or to go to counseling. I'm not saying that pills are the answer. That is up to the psychiatrist and the doctor as to whether or not that that should be their, your first step. Because I did need pills, but only temporary. And then it took me also working with God and having the faith that I would get well. I've given you some of the signs, but there's so many more. And I ask that if you think a loved one or yourself is dealing with PTSD, get online, do your history, and maybe it's time to have an intervention with that person because PTSD is not a funny thing and whether it's been 13 years or 20 years since the incident happened PTSD can come in any kinds of forms at any time if I haven't given you enough signs to look for look look them up on the internet but did that person or you help right away it's never too late, and it's never too late to make someone's life a lot better. When I got help from my PTSD, it was the best decision I ever made. And now I can talk about what happened without breaking down 
or running out and getting a fit, like getting high, in order to deal with things. All I cared about was feeling better in that moment. And I couldn't make any plans, and I couldn't even tell you if I was going to be reliable, reliable to show up for even a gathering the next day. Because I was living day by day. And as an addict, sometimes it's still like that. But ever since I've gotten clean, it's gotten a lot more better. And I can see when things are coming my way before they even do. You get to a point in your life where you're more aware uh, when you need help. And that's when I start reaching out to sponsors, whoever. Because it comes a time where you just need to talk. And talking is just the start. Going to God should always be the first start. But that's not what most people do. Even Christians. <laughs> um, God can heal. It says it in the Bible. Look up healing scriptures. Do what you have to do. But get the help for yourself or the person, friend, loved one, family member, whoever you think is struggling with this. Help them to get the help that they need. And if you want to ask me about resources, you see where my link is on my Facebook. And you're able to message me anytime. Leave me messages and I'll try to get back with you right away. Thanks for listening to On Foot of the Cross. In the final episode where we talk about PTSD, we'll start talking about new things in the upcoming episodes. But for now, I'm going to leave you with a prayer. <laughs> Sorry, my voice is still raspy from being sick. Father God, we thank you on this beautiful day. I've got listeners from all over the place. But here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, it's uh, in lowest 70s and we'll be hitting the 80s later on and I just cannot wait for the lake to get warm so that I can get out there and start swimming because with COVID-19 and being quarantined there hasn't been a lot to do and my kids have been doing more housework than I've ever seen them do it before because they've been so bored so I thank you God for the beautiful day that the Lord has made and I ask you that you use me to touch others out there, to touch my listeners, to help get me to give them the right advice that they need to help themselves or a loved one. Use me, Father God. Give me the wisdom and the maturity that I need to truly lead people to a good place with my broadcast. In your almighty name, in Jesus' name, Amen. All right. Thank you for listening to the Foot of the Cross. Um, I'll be doing another episode soon, and I will post when another one should be available. Thanks again, and God bless.